I'm RJ Bell with the sports betting headlines for Tuesday. Saints win, but they don't cover against Seattle. There was a lot of late steam on the Saints. That loses. The steam loses. We'll cover the game. Next football game is Thursday. And yes, COVID sweeping through Green Bay. Plus injuries. It looks like their three top receivers may be out. Arizona at home is nearly a touchdown favorite Thursday night over Green Bay. World Series starts. Astros in the series, minus 140. But the Astros entering the year were 30-1. to And the Braves August 1st, we're 55 to 1. These are some long shots. Here comes a full hour of the Vegas Truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, RJ Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm R.J. Live in Las Vegas, live on a Tuesday, the aftermath of Monday, night football, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. In studio, A.J. Hoffman, sports bettors listen for the money, sports fans listen to know more than their bodies. We got the World Series, which we're not a baseball show, but listen, when it's the World Series, now with hockey, this is the rule. So for new listeners... You should know this. If there's a game seven, we'll spend in the Stanley Cup finals, <laughs> we'll spend 70 seconds on it. That's it. So some years we have, some years we haven't. World Series gets a little bit more. He is the fan who beats the man, A.J. Hoffman. Thanks, R.J. Great to be here on a Tuesday where the Saints eked out an ugly one in Seattle. The Packers get some more bad COVID news, and the World Series gets underway tonight. What is the Vegas lead today? I didn't know if you won, it could ever really be ugly. Congratulations. I mean, maybe you should watch Canadian football. Oh, a lot of scoring there. A lot of I had an old plays. co-host who was a uh, Canadian football That's what I'm fan. saying. Ugh. There's certain people that like Canadian football, and there's others that don't. I don't. No. I don't generally like Canadians all that much. <laughs> Honestly, I don't either. I like Norm MacDonald, but, you know, I, that fake niceness, mm-mm. Yeah. Well, the Vegas lead today, though, will be Monday Night Football, but I want to get into specifically how good, or at least start with, how good are the Saints? Because this is a team that, from one perspective, you can say, ah, they're getting lucky to be above 500. From another perspective, you could say the only team that's blown out the Patriots. And you think about the way they beat Green Bay. If you say, let's take the two best wins of the year, and that's what matters, does maybe the Saints rank right at the top of the NFL? That's the question. We'll let we'll put the researchers on it. Give me a team in two minutes that has two wins that you would say are better. I don't want to say, well, these aren't quite as good, but 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 maybe no no no. Who would you say this stacks up over the Saints' two best wins? And the only reason I bring that up is to me, 
there are ways to look at it that say the Saints are just better than average, but boy, they can play very well in some spots. I'd say Arizona blowout wins over the Rams and the Browns on the road. Both of them on the road. Okay, Arizona. Blow- All right, I'll accept that. And in hindsight, a blowout win over the Titans, who look like maybe they're pretty good. Well, I'll, let's accept that. Is there another team? Probably or, not. <laughs> so we're saying by the the peak, because if we say there's seven games in, generally the league is. There's some buys now, obviously. The idea that the Saints, there's only one team, the undefeated team, the only undefeated team. Yeah, they've got two more impressive wins. But nobody else does. Thus, in any given game, the theory is if a team plays their very best, the Saints have a shot against anyone because no team at their very best has been more impressive than the Saints. Now, we'll let them keep kind of looking around, coming up with alternatives, but I think it frames this uh, game last night in an interesting way. Yeah, Saints stop a last-minute Seahawks drive, hold on to a 13-10 lead, fail to cover the 5.5 number. Okay, so... You said in pre-production that, hey, Saints got a lot going for him, but Winston is the problem. I just don't see how this can be a Super Bowl team if Jameis Winston is the quarterback. He was not good again last night, and you, it, it's good enough to win you know, ugly, rainy games against Geno Smith in Seattle, but once the playoffs start and you're going against this NFC team, this NFC that is just loaded with top-tier quarterbacks, you're bringing a knife to a gunfight, bringing Jameis Winston to the playoffs. Okay, so if you look at the Patriots, and let's draw an analogy, is Mac Jones has been the most impressive, I think it's fair to say, and of the rookie quarterbacks. But a lot of people are saying, boy, they got training wheels on him. If it's third and 15, he's thrown before the sticks. And it's, it's, he's, it's like he's getting the conservative game plan. Now, what people don't seem to connect is maybe there's a connection there. Maybe that any rookie quarterback needs to be slowly introduced to the intensity of the NFL, the complexity of it the difficulty of it, and if you try to put him in and act like that he's any other quarterback, a rookie, you're going to get what you've seen from the other rookies. And at this point, who's the second-best rookie quarterback? Trevor Lawrence. That can't be. That is. I mean, and Trevor Lawrence is what? One of the five worst quarterbacks in the NFL? So it's like literally the worst quarterbacks in the NFL are all the rookies. Who's the worst quarterback that's not a rookie? Oof. Yeah. Jared Goff. Except he hasn't been all that bad. So the general, uh, probably Sam Darnold. Yeah, probably. At yeah. this point. It, but, the, the good start's worn off for him. Oh, Lord. Anyway, I'm not even sure how good it was, but okay. But the point I'm saying is when you have Mac Jones clearly not in that bottom tier, part of the reason might be Belichick is and the OC are letting this happen at a pace he can handle and not anymore. Like, you have two sons, right? You taught them to swim at some point, I'm guessing. They're in their teens. Did you throw them out into the ocean and say, hey, if you make it back, dinner's ready? I threw them into the river and said that. No, 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 no. (laughs) I mean, you might have wanted to push their abilities, but you didn't want them to drown. No. Okay. So it seems like, yeah, you don't want to be too conservative. You don't want them holding on to the mom's ankle and stuff, but you also don't want them to get swept away. You're right. Okay. (laughs) I mean, you know, not a brilliant point, I think, generally, but yeah. 
I think that's what the Patriots are doing with Mac Jones. Now let's turn back to the Saints. Jameis Winston was not a starter last year. The entire league spoke and said, no one wants you. 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions are not good for us. We don't want you to start. And he was a backup because of that. He didn't want to be a backup. He didn't want to sign a contract for like the modest relative amount he did, but he did. And they didn't even sign him to a two-year deal. Remember, he had to re-sign this year with the Saints. So it was like well, you're one step from the Canadian Football League when you're signing one-year NFL contracts as a quarterback. Now, could it be, and we all know that the Saints have really liked Taysom Hill as a possibility. If you look at his contract size, it's like, man, that seems inordinately big. That's big, isn't it, for Taysom Hill? But Sean Payton really has had a thing for converting Taysom Hill. The fact he hasn't been able to, to the point where he's the starter. The fact Winston's still the starter tells me that, that Sean Payton has a plan, and part of that plan is to retrain him when it comes to his his willingness, his inclination to throw aggressively downfield. Because what's always been the complaint about Jameis Winston? He can make the big plays, but he makes the big mistakes. Right? Right. So the question becomes, do we maybe trust that Sean Payton has a plan to bring along a retrained Jameis Winston as opposed to... Um, as opposed to <laughs> rushing him in there. I think that what they've done is wise with him, but it's also limited. But then why would you be looking for another quarterback? Why wouldn't you be saying, who knows where this goes? Because the best of this version of Jameis Winston just but, doesn't seem... But isn't the whole premise of bringing someone along incrementally is that this version is the version you're seeing now, just like Mac Jones, and in three weeks there's going to be another a little bit further along version? The difference is this guy's 27 years old. And he, I mean, and he was ready to leave the league. Right, so if you have the physical skill, I mean, does anyone question Jameis Winston's no. physical skills? No. So it's got to be mental, right? What else is there? It's got to be. I don't mean mental as in the insane, you know, the Ludi Ben. I mean mental as in his processing speed, his right. decision making, his whatever, his yes. whatever it is. It's it's something that is not a physical limitation. Agreed. Thus, isn't that a isn't that all you can hope for in a quarterback you draft or any? quarterback that has the physical skills is if they have those now can you teach them the mental side of the game could it be that he's being retrained and otherwise why would Sean Payton be okay with them I agree with what you're saying and I guess with with Mac Jones it feels like the Patriots were unlikely to be Super Bowl contenders this year so you knew that this was going to be a developmental year for a rookie quarterback well, what were the odds coming into the season on the Patriots and the Saints I think the Patriots had slightly better Super Bowl odds McKenzie take a gander at that but it feels like the Saints are so close, especially in a, a very winnable division. I, well, I guess Tampa is still the team to beat. But in, in a division where there's two bad teams, there's some games to be won, it feels like they need to have more well, of a— when you have bad teams, don't you want the low-variance guy? I mean, in a way, you could say Winston's like a Teddy Bridgewater now. right? Low risk, low upside, you know, low upside, low downside. You could say that, but then you'd look at the rest of the AFC West and you see that the, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Chiefs all are probably better teams. But no, no, I agree. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying pro Teddy Bridgewater right now. What I'm saying is if you're the Saints with a better team around the quarterback than most, maybe a Teddy Bridgewater, low variance, low risk type of quarterback gets you where you need to get this year, at least 
earlier in the year. I think it potentially gets you to the playoffs. I think if the Saints have a bigger Obviously picture... Obviously, they're more than potentially in the playoffs. I think if you start to talk about them beyond you know, actually doing something in the playoffs, it's just hard for me to imagine. Assuming Winston doesn't evolve. Yes. and But it feels like he's being brought along in a way that's an evolutionary effort. Winston, 25 pass attempts per game this year. 25. The last season he started, two years ago in Tampa Bay, pre-Tom Brady, he had 39 per game. 39 minus 25. It's 14 less throws a game. Exactly? Exactly. Yes. Yes. I'm rounding. Okay. So, if you think about it, isn't that exactly my point? We don't need to run. We've got a four and two. Is it four and two? Four and two. Four and two. That's, I mean, I'm just going to do this in my head. That's 66%. It's true. That does, that usually does pretty well in the playoffs, right? I mean, get you there. I think what we're going to see, my prediction, is those pass attempt numbers go up one increment at a time, and he's thrown 32 passes or so come playoff time, and maybe he's unleashed at that point. Understanding, hey, he might blow up and we might lose by 30, because at least with him, there, there is another gear. So you're saying during the regular season, the Saints are doing the smart thing, playing a low-variance game. When the playoffs come and they realize they're going to be underdogs, they, they take more big risks and hope that good Jameis shows up instead of bad Jameis. Exactly. Are you familiar with this? I live my life a quarter mile at a time. I, I've only from the podcast. That's I've, I'm not. You've never watched Fast and the Furious. I haven't never watched a single one of those movies. Oh my gosh! You're trying to be like a bro, and you haven't seen Fast. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a bro. Well, you're just naturally a bro. <laughs> you're trying to be like a, an intellectual, and, and I'm trying to be an intellectual. Well, you naturally are an intellectual, <laughs> but you're, you watch the Fast and Furious movies because I try to stay in touch with the soul. I mean, I don't know if with you the know bros. This. Here's what I here's what I know. I grew up in a place a lot. Uh, more deprived than you. I grew up in a town with 4,000 people. My dad's a coal miner was, and there's no stoplights in town. Ohio, coal mine. You grew up in, where was it? Houston? Yeah. Big city Houston. But somehow you're the bro, but me watching Fast and the Furious is strange, except like my second best buddies, brothers, dad's a race car driver, like a little stock car guy in the, you know, banging around. Did you watch Fast and Furious saying, oh, I know AJ's moving out here. This is going to be my way to connect to him. I'll watch this dummy movie and this, I'll be able to talk to him. This is what happens to guys like you. He's a janitor at a high school. <laughs> he has to take the bus to work every day. That's I my mean, next move. <laughs> anyway. They had a nitrous or some kind of tank in the car. And you know what? When they were heading down to the McDonald's, they didn't use it. You <laughs> that know makes when, sense. You know when they used it? When they were racing. When they needed it. It doesn't seem like the Saints have needed it yet. No. So why bring out the risk of badge? Keep them almost like Hannibal Lecter style, all tied up. You know, just one arm maybe to throw about 25 passes a game. And then when they're the underdog in the playoffs, they take off the straitjacket. I, I tell you what's odd about this team is you mentioned the two wins, and they do have two of the best wins that anybody has on their resume. They also have two of the worst losses at this point when you think about Carolina and the Giants. Well, listen, here's the thing. The Carolina, and, and you yourself did this, Yep. and I'm R.J. Bell. He's A.J. Hoffman. 
you excused away that Carolina game by saying, oh, there were 29 coaches that had COVID. Every coach. Every coach Every had COVID. Every offensive coach. And if they did it, their loved ones did. So they were distracted. <laughs> and the ones that recovered weren't 100% physically. You had a bunch of excuses, right? I did. And let's be candid, in that Giants game, Late, late in the game, the Saints had a massive chance to win the game. It was a fluky end of the game. So under that theory, they could have easily won the Giants game. And we, there's an ex- they might be the only team with Arizona that has not clearly lost the game that they didn't have a clear reason to, meaning the fluky loss is a fluky loss. But I would say Dallas is in that group, too. Well, let me think. They have the one loss against the Chargers. Okay. No, against the Bucks. That's their only loss. Oh, I'm sorry. They beat the Chargers that, yeah. that coin flip game. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So what we're saying here by two different definitions, right? If you think about it, who has the most excusable losses? Let's say two or more. And Dallas is right there. And Saints and a couple other teams. That's fine. And who has the most impressive wins? Saints are right there. So, at their low point, isn't so low if you take away the COVID game. And their high points are mighty high. And you're saying maybe a blockbuster trade to disrupt everything. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I trust Sean Payton. And you know what? Worst case, at the end of the year, if they do take the training wheels off Winston, they're going to know what they have. And wouldn't you say, other than Deshaun Watson, who obviously is a top-five quarterback outside of the off-the-field issues. Yes. Okay? Last year was his best year. People don't realize that because they only won four games, but it really was Deshaun's best year. It was an amazing year considering his limited help around him. Yeah. For him as a quarterback. Trading for him is trading for better than Stafford. It is a blockbuster, and you're giving up a lot for it. And it's rare a quarterback like that even moves. Right, you think about it; it's rare. Okay, so if they can get him, maybe. But other than that, if you had the top pick in the draft next year, which isn't supposed to be a great quarterback right. draft, so you can p- decide who you might take. Does that quarterback have a better chance of turning into something really good than Winston? I would make the case Winston has at least that chance. I'd say I'd, I'd agree with you. So in a way, if you don't get Deshaun Watson, I don't think any trade makes any sense. To like get the number one pick next year or something. Unless somehow Sean Payton loved the quarterback. But in general, about half of the top 10 quarterback picks make it and half don't. I think Winston has at least a 50% chance to become like the 12th best quarterback in the league. I think that's fair. So in a weird way, they got both a guy that's winning for them now and a lottery ticket. As in there's an upside. You've won this debate, my friend. All right. Well, no. Listen, <laughs> the truth won. No, you, you did. It, tr- it's, uh, you make the, good points. It's the truth that won, not me. <laughs> I'm R.J. Bell on the side of the truth. Uh, on the other side. I'm over least, here in the house of lies. At least for a while, A.J. Hoffman. But he's back over on the side of the truth now. Saints entering the season 33-1 to to win the Super Bowl. Patriots with 35-1. to So they were right there. Ah, it's interesting. Right now, who would you take between the, if you had a free ten thousand dollar free roll Super Bowl win, Saints or Patriots? Oh, Saints. Now, how much of that is you think the Saints are better, and how much of that is their record right now? Because uh, obviously that affects your. Ability I, I think to play the Saints out. are just better. Now, the boys in the control room. Last point here made an interesting point. Is they say Tennessee? If you just look at Buffalo and KC, that's two oh, wins. That's true. So I think, but in, I think you could make the case the Saints are in the top five for most impressive two wins, and in the top five for le- or most explainable losses. 
And I think most people wouldn't think quite like that. By the way, Saints against the Giants, they had a 62% win share in the fourth quarter. And it's pretty rare. In fact, we'll take our break. When we come back, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to touch on other NFL subjects, including Green Bay and that line. They're a, a, a touchdown. This is a team that was 26 and six the last two regular seasons. And now they're five and one this year or six and one. Yeah, I don't think they've six, had a bye. Yeah, six and one. Six and one. So that's 32 and seven. <laughs> And they're somehow a touchdown underdog or so, a little less. That shows you how much that COVID can affect things. And also, we'll explain, if it's 62% chance to win in the fourth quarter, how often does a team that has that big of a percentage chance actually win? And he's RJ Bell. I'm AJ Hoffman. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. If you speak out against the words, then the heavens gonna fall. The government. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm A.J. Hoffman. In just a minute, we're going to take a look at the heavy swing in the odds for Thursday night's matchup between Green Bay and Arizona. So to wrap up from our jumbo first segment, if you look at it, when the Giants did beat the Saints, and we're talking about how the Saints have not really played a horrible game, we have a concept called win share in the fourth quarter, which says, what was your chance to win after every play of the fourth quarter? Weighted towards the end of the game being more important, And it tells you, hey, if a team gets lucky, it's going to show up here. Well, when the Giants beat the Saints, they were the second most unlikely win of the season based upon fourth quarter win share. Pregame.com, trademark. Now, the most unlikely win, Tennessee over Buffalo. And we all remember how unlikely that game fell, right? And the third most unlikely win was the Colts over Baltimore. I guess it was Baltimore over the Colts in that game. But that was a, oh my gosh, I can't believe they won that game. No one thinks about the Giants beating the Saints like that. But that's actually was in the middle of those two was the second most unlikely end of the game type swings. And to me, yeah, they count. But boy, it shows you. Obviously, Buffalo outplayed Tennessee generally in the game. Baltimore or uh, Indianapolis outplayed Baltimore. And the Saints outplayed the Giants. I mean, you're right. I don't think of that game as one of those games that was really because you the, weren't the watching it. Result. It was that thing you saw this on the tip. No, you're right at the end, right? And real quick, you, we were talking about rookie quarterbacks and how bad they are relative to the others. So let's look at Q, uh, you know non rookies. Let's look at QBR, which is one of the best individual one measures of a quarterback. And the worst quarterbacks in the league are Justin Fields, 32. Okay, so he's the worst, and that's uh, a rookie. Zach Wilson, 31. Rookie. Davis Mills, 30. Rookie. Jared Goff, 29. Not a rookie. Jimmy Garoppolo, 28. Okay. Trevor Lawrence, 27. All right. So And Jalen Hurts is 26, and he's basically a rookie. So it's interesting. Trevor Lawrence just had one or two people slip up in between, but it's like quarterbacks that the teams are trying to get rid of, no matter what, <laughs> and the rookies. And then there's Mac Jones. Where's he at? He is number 18. And where's Jameis Winston? Jameis Winston's number 14. Maybe he's doing okay. Maybe he's doing okay. Maybe he's doing okay. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences doubled in the last year plus because of you. 
It's causing me too, and AJ a little bit, but it's causing you, and we appreciate it. You keep spreading the word and keep supporting the show. We'll keep working extra hard to give you the best show we can with laughter, insight, musings, and try to keep AJ's peccadillos out of it totally. That's our goal. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Just search Straight Out of Vegas here in Vegas on the Strip. 69 degrees, the neon is chugging. All right, RJ, let's take a look at that swing in the line. Three and a half from the world opener, now pushing six and a half. Green Bay at Arizona, obviously COVID playing a a big role in the the line movement. Yeah, and I think that Colin made a point today on the show that I think is generally directionally right, but is not exactly right. And his point was, hey, you got Devontae Adams, and he is so vital to that team that if you think about the drop off, uh, you know, how important is the number one target for any given team? Maybe Green Bay actually is at the top of that list. And thus, when Adams is out, it's a major consequence. And I don't think Lazard was out come the time of their show or whatever, but the driver of this line in general is cluster injuries. Yeah. Uh, having Adams out, one of the most valuable, if not most important receiver, he might be the most important receiver in football, whereas his absence is the biggest impact. But it's not going to move a line from three and a half or so. And again, let's remember with that three and a half opener, Arizona hosting Green Bay. The typical home field these days in the modern NFL is two and a half, not three. If you someone talking about three, they are behind. It's two and a half. And that's an evolution. Last year, obviously, it was less because of the no crowds. Here, it's less because if you look at the 19 season, home field didn't mean very much. This year, it hasn't meant very much. Everyone's reevaluating what it means in the modern era. Why are teams playing better on the road? The travel's easier. There's a bunch of reasons. But... They are, statistically. So, let's say two and a half would have been the line if the Packers and the Cardinals were exactly the same quality team. Okay. The fact this line opened at three and a half says, wow, Arizona's better than the Packers. Do you agree with that? You've been a Arizona denier, you could say. you. I don't know if for something personal, but you've been against Arizona. Who's better, Green Bay or Arizona, with normal health both ways, not accounting for this week's issues? I'd say Green Bay slightly better. All right, so you're going way, and you and the market are in disagreement. You're yes. fighting authority in a way. Okay, but you, you know what? The only time you're ever going to get a bet ever is when you disagree with the market. So you got to be judicious. But that is what a bet is. You're saying, "Oh, I disagree." You think it's that? I think it's something else. Now, let's not forget Thursday night football is a big advantage for the home team. Why? Because there's only three days to prep. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if you played on Sunday, other than six days, if you have Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, till the next one. That's double. It's half as much time to prep. So why does traveling matter? Because traveling's taken up, what, half a day? Yeah. So now, in a way, you're taking one of those three days and cutting it in half, and statistically, that's mattered over the long term. McKenzie said it particularly matters when there's long travel. What was your stat on that, McKenzie? Well, that that was a stat that I Oh, did he stole from you? No, he didn't steal it. We're on the same team. Oh, okay. You're a very me, me, me person. We're we here. Go ahead. Under 40% for teams traveling more than 1,100 miles on Thursday. All right. And what's uh, the distance from Green Bay to, I don't even know where Green Bay is, to Arizona? 
I think it's in uh, Wisconsin. It is absolutely in Wisconsin. Yeah, You're Vernon right. Shirley was in Wisconsin. I remember that. Okay. Go ahead. Over 1,500 miles. All right. So the theory is the longer you got to go. Now, built into that is that chances are you're out of division, too. So in a way, the mileage is a proxy for being out of division because out of division means you don't know the team quite as well. And thus, your prep is more meaningful, right? If you really know the team, you don't need to prep as much. So in division, it's less important the Thursday night disadvantage. And if you do, they ever play out of conference Thursdays? I think they do. Those are the best ones because in theory, you're only playing that team every four years. So big advantage. Big to the advantage home team. for the home team typically there because you need the time to prep. Now, if a coach is smart, they're going to be looking ahead and, and prepping for that game earlier. But everyone's not Belichick. <laughs> I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. Um, any other thoughts on Green Bay? So what we're, our conclusion here is Arizona's considered a little bit better. AJ disagrees. This game's Thursday. The Thursday night element, especially with long distance out of division, is meaningful. Thus, it brings the lineup a little bit. And then you've got, oh my gosh, you don't only have Adams out, but Lazard's out. And the third guy's hamstring... Uh, Valdez Scantling, his uh, hamstring. He's been on the IR, missed the last four games. Eligible return, but no word yet if he will. Yeah, so if he doesn't, it's really a matter of cluster injuries, which is a ma- it's saying it's not going from your first to second best receiver. You're saying the three best are out. Now the fourth one becomes the first one. The fifth one becomes the right. sixth one. That is trouble. So let's put that in context to what we were talking about yesterday, where we were talking about when it's too obvious. We did this with Cleveland. We did this with Tennessee. We see all these injuries and we say, oh boy, there's no way they can cover that with this group of injuries going on. But that's the thing. The line's gone way up. Right, so we're almost at a touchdown now. Is that too much? Now it's about the adjustment. It, like if Tom Brady were out and the line didn't move, you'd say what's going on. But if the line moves for Brady, probably seven points, eight points. Now it's not about fading it or not. It's about is the adjustment sufficient? I think the adjustment here is probably more than sufficient. Because you've got a Thursday night game, which means it's a standalone. So everyone's paying attention to it. We usually aren't talking about this game on a Tuesday, but this is supposedly one of the biggest Thursday night games ever, matchup wise. If you look at the records, it's probably unmatched. So that's given a lot of attention. It's standalone by itself. That gives it more attention. It's Aaron Rodgers, more attention. And it's the only undefeated team, yeah. more attention. Now, how's the now? what receiver have you heard more about in the last year that he is the only guy they've got? It's probably Adams, right? It is. So him being out, if it was everyone but Adams, I think it would probably not be enough move. The reason I thought the Cleveland wasn't enough move, and I was wrong, was because it wasn't a lot of big names. So Chubb had been out for a few weeks. It didn't feel like it was resonating. And people are anti-Baker, so I thought, eh. And I thought, when you add it all up, it was just too many people out. Here, I think the move is sufficient. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if this goes to like the seven and a half. Because come game day... The public's going to wake up. Most of the public that's not listening to the show don't even know this game, the line yet. I mean, not that other shows aren't talking about some, but if you're not listening to any gambling shows, you're probably not even thinking about that line. Come game day, you wake up, look at Thursday, look at the paper. Oh, man, six and a half, that's cheap. And then it gets bad. I'm predicting 
if everyone's out like we think, the line will move up at least a half point from Thursday morning till kickoff. It will move up more. So if you want Arizona, you're running out of time now. If you want the Packers, you need to wait till close to kickoff. Yes. The only thing is, if if Scantling is comes back, it might change things, right? Or if Adams is announced cleared to play because but he I is don't vaccinated. Think he's able to. Oh, it, it, he is vaccinated. There's a, there's a possibility. There is that. still a slight possibility. What would have to happen for he that would, to be the he case? He would have to have a second a second consecutive day of non uh, symptoms and, uh, and has he had one negative test? One day of non symptoms. Yes. So then that means isn't the next? Or no, he has to wait, and then he's got to have two consecutive days. So tomorrow and then Thursday. And if he tests, so he doesn't have any consecutive days yet. Right. So how do we know if he has symptoms or not? We don't. Are you are you doing a HIPAA violation right now? Uh, well, I'm just <laughs> telling you what I've read. Okay. All right. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. You never feel sorry for me. This is your chance. So one of my screens right here says out of conference Thursday night games: Carolina and Houston. Okay, that makes sense. Cincinnati and Jacksonville. Hmm. I think they're in the same conference, aren't they? I think they are the still both one, in the AFC. And the next one says Denver and Cleveland. Ooh, I think they're both in the AFC. And then the, the screen just went blank. <laughs> <laughs> Who runs that screen? Is it you the know, Wizard of Oz? I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. When Sounds we, like a heart palpitation. When, 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 we come back, when we come back, we're going to get to the bottom of that. We're going to get to the bottom of Adams, the likelihood of him playing, and a Vegas-style World Series preview. He's RJ Bell. I'm AJ Hoffman. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm A.J. Hoffman. Let's take a look at the World Series getting underway tonight. The Houston Astros, minus 140 favorites, hosting the Atlanta Braves in Game 1. All right, so Game 1, minus 140. No, so Game 1, minus 130. The series, minus oh, 140. Astros hosting. I misspoke. Oh, wow. Apologies. I know it was close. So, so minus 130 in the game. Minus 140 for the series. Correct. Now, what does minus 140 mean for those who are uninitiated? That means... Hey, we don't have a point spread because typically the way you even things out in football and basketball would say, oh, Saints are favored by five and a half. And then, oh, look, Saints won by less than that. So they don't win the spread bet. But you could have bet the Saints on the money line and you would have won. So how do they equal out games without a spread? And how do you have a spread in baseball when there's not many runs scored? Well, you say you got to bet more to win less. Like when Tyson lost to Buster Douglas, and it was 42 to win a dollar. It's like, well, actually, it was more than that, and then Buster Douglas paid 42 to one. So if you bet a dollar on Buster Douglas, shout out to Jimmy Vicario, Vicaro, sorry, uh, longtime Vegas bookmaker, was the only guy on earth that had a number up on that Tyson fight at the Mirage at the time. He's been good to me in town. Uh, 42 to one payout. So it's nothing like that here. You bet 140 to win 100, or you bet 100 to win 120 on the underdog. And the difference between 140 120 is called the straddle. That's how the bookies 
who we know what we think of the bookies here. Cockroaches. Cockroaches. Not Jimmy Vaccaro. No, actually, no. The rest. (laughs) But almost every other one. Almost, but not everyone. It just matters who I'm with at that given time. But in general, they have cockroach tendencies. Let's agree (laughs) to that. Agreed. I think even the good ones would admit that. Why? Because they want to take your money. And it's fine. They got to get paid for what they're doing. But the straddle is 20 cents in that case. So you're betting more on Houston. Now, you got a prop coming up. You're going to bet. But let me ask you, AJ, you, some would say pluck from obscurity. I don't think that's true because you were the ratings leader in Houston. You know, if you look like, like the last five years, when it came to sports talk shows in the whole city, drive time for you in the afternoon. You and Fred Fowler, partners, but you you were down in Houston what over ten years, right? Over ten, eleven years. What? Let's. Let, and I'm going to be very specific with my questions. What did the city think when Houston won before all of the controversy? Obviously, it's some variation. How behind that team the Astros were? That when the Astros are winning, they are the favorite team in in Houston. They more are, than the Rockets, more, more than the Texans, even the, uh, even with the Texans making many playoffs under Coach O'Brien. Yep. Okay. Now, as the controversy happened, wh- how did the city react? The, the it was a sort of a split. I'd say twenty percent sort of were disappointed in the Astros, like saying, "Why? How'd you do that?" Right. Say it ain't so, Joe, kind of thing. But I think as more vitriol came from outside of Houston. It sort of created a, a, a pack mentality for Astros fans to give kind of a middle finger to Dodgers fans and Yankees fans and everyone coming at them. So the Dodgers and Yankees fans said, hey, we want the World Series, America's pastime, to be untainted by your cheating. And they said, you know, in response to that, we're going to fight you. That's right. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. Not, not making a ton of sense, necessarily. I mean, listen, if it's your team, you, you, you want to back your team no matter do, what. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, fans are by by definition. Where under- was your head at? Uh, I don't I, I believe that most teams cheat. I think the Astros were just really bad and naive cheaters. And, and but maybe they, they were really good. So you think other teams are doing something to that level? I think they were at the time. I think that when the Astros got asked. So you don't think it tarnishes it at all? Uh, no, not really. Ladies and gentlemen, please hold all tickets. The stewards have posted the inquiry sign. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Okay, now, if they win it this year, would it be redemption? Absolutely. And they they came close in 2019, came up just short to the Nationals. Everybody said, if they win it here, this shuts everybody up. Now, I mean, we're down to four guys on this team that were even there in 2017. So, But if they do win it, then I think it does sort of let everybody know. Now, is this going to be a best bet or? Or a pizza bet. There's a pizza bet for you. Come on, baby, eighty thousand dollars. That's your pizza bet. Eighty thousand. Eighty thousand. I'm gonna go over four and a half strikeouts for Framber Valdez tonight. Braves 24th in the league against left-handed pitching. Framber Valdez, a strikeout guy. The Astros want to save their bullpen for later in the in the uh, the series. So I expect a long outing from Framber tonight. Framber Valdez over four and a half strikeouts plus one ten is the money right now. All right, so a little plus. Money payout over. Any thoughts in the series? If you had to play the series, I'd, I'd play the Astros. The, bu- the Braves bullpen, their best guys are left handed. That's not good against the Astros. So Astros hit lefties well. Crush lefties. Both of these teams at their low point. So Astros starting the season 30 to 1. 100 wins you 3,000 to win the World Series. And the Angel, or check that, the Braves, August 1st. 
were 55 to 1. That was injury driven, right? Yeah, Ronald Acuña gets hurt in the middle of the season, they say, "Oh, they're done." 55 to 1. 100 wins you 5500. So remember, it's not just who you bet, it's when you bet oftentimes. You know, I often have wondered how much more betting would there be on baseball if it wasn't for the money line? You'd be shocked at the number of people don't that just don't get it. Minus 200 plus 170, minus 140 plus 120. And, and, but if somehow baseball had another way, I think it would increase their handle by 50, 60 percent. But money line's what we got, and it is the World Series. If you missed any of today's show, including a good breakdown of Jameis Winston and how the Saints are bringing him along, check out the podcast at foxsportsradio.com. We are straight out of Vegas. We'll be back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 o'clock Vegas time, right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas!